1: Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dave Kidd of The Sun and Tom Hopkinson of The Sunday Mirror. Thirty years and counting. Football didn't exist, according to some, in 1989. But surely Liverpool won't have to wait much longer for their first title in the Premier League era. They're eight points clear going into the international break, nine ahead of their logical rivals, Manchester City. It's on, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm no doubt Liverpool in the league. uh, they've, They've been relentless over the course of this whole calendar year. Extraordinary. They are a team who are coming up the hill to their peak. Man City have got quite a few players that are over 30 now. Obviously, that we all know about the problem with company. City would now have to win virtually every game to have a chance of beating Liverpool, and I do not see that consistency from them this season. Whether the appetite has gone slightly, I don't know, but Liverpool are an extraordinarily relentless team. They haven't lost a home game since... April 2017, it's ridiculous, I was writing recently. Sam Allardyce was in charge of Crystal Palace. He was, you know, No one even <laughs> remembers Sam Allardyce was ever at Crystal Palace. The last game Liverpool lost at home was against Sam Allardyce's Crystal Palace. I mean, that seems like ancient history, doesn't it? And obviously they haven't lost anywhere for a long, long while now, since Manchester City in January. You just cannot see them losing enough points now with this lead. I certainly can't see Leicester or Chelsea being consistent enough either to
1: haul them in, even though they've done wonderfully well. So. It's game over for me in November. Your city going into the break fourth, that's a symbol of underachievement more than anything else, isn't it, Tom? What strikes me as strange is how can a club with so many resources
3: be thrown so out of whack by the loss of one
1: player? Defensively, Laporte?
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd stop short of saying underachievement because I think, you know, look, we saw City uh, X number of points behind at Christmas last year and they still went on to win the title. They still went on to do it 99 points, which was incredible. We saw what they did the year before. So I'd stop short of handing Liverpool the title at the moment. I'm struggling to see anyone else winning it, but strange things have happened, haven't we? You know, we've seen teams have implosions mid season and other teams come up. I mean, what was it with City? 17 games, winning sequence last year that, that yeah. took them to the title and I still think that with Laporte when he comes back you know he will make as we've seen he's made a a big difference to their detriment in being out but he'll make a very big difference when he does come back into the side so I'm not going to write them off yet I think as Dave says look this is a side that now you suspect it needs freshening up you know they've got one or two players over 30. David Silva we know is going at the end of the season so it's on Guardiola now to create another side. This side's done exceptionally well though and I wouldn't want to write them off as has been anytime soon and certainly not until April. <laughs> if you're going to create a new side by definition
1: that means Two, maybe even three seasons. Mm. Do you think Pep will hang around for that long? No, I don't. I think we've seen, you know, even the Barcelona, we didn't last any longer than about four years.
2: He's never going to be a Wenger or a Ferguson, not that anyone is these days, but he certainly isn't. Yeah, I mean, this could be his last season. There could be one more. I can't see him being there for the long, long term. I don't think there'll be a major rebuild. Maybe it doesn't need a major rebuild. It might need two or three players, but company. He's missed badly in the dressing room and around the club. He's one of the great captains of the Premier League era. They miss him as a player because they didn't replace him and then Laporte got injured, they miss him as a character as well, I think. I don't think with company around the, the sort of performances you know, against Norwich and Wolves when they got beaten would have been acceptable. You know He was such a good influence on the whole club, even when his bones were starting to creak. But he still came in and played a lot of that. Running, And they knew it was happening before the summer, that Stones had completely fallen off a cliff form-wise, he's got issues. And Stones, knowing Stones was in that place at the end of last season and having lost company not to replace him was criminal really from them. So strange oversight when you've got so much money to spend not to plug that hole. That's obviously come home to haunt them. I also think though that they were the first team for 10 years to retain the Premier League it's gruelling and to retain it is remarkable mm. to win three in a row has anyone got that amount of hunger because it's such a relentless league there really aren't any easy games in that league as mm. City showed by losing to Norwich
3: to do it three years in a row I think is beyond anyone I still think Guardiola stays You know, I, I don't think we're going to see him go in in the next couple of years because I, I'm not too sure what challenge there would be for him next out there. Certainly there's not going to be that many that pay the sort of money that Manchester City pay. There's of course the holy grail of being the first managers to take them to Champions League glory which I think is something that would really mean an incredible amount to him. I mean where else would he go unless he's going to end up in the Middle East or, or China and you're not going to get the same Competition for a man who clearly—I mean, look at the way he was running down the touchline yesterday. Reminded me of myself in the estate agent last week. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just just the passion that he had is quite phenomenal. But isn't is that is that passion, or is that a sign of stress? Because he does put a lot of stress on himself. Yeah, it's it's both. But you know, if you don't care. There's no point carrying on. But that, to me, showed that he does still care. And, you know, there is still the drive there for him to achieve with City. And I I don't think we'll see where he exhausted himself with Barcelona. He exhausted himself with Bayern Munich or it felt that three years there was long enough. I think with City, I just get the feeling that he perhaps thinks maybe there is a five, six, seven-year project. I'm not talking Fergie Wenger. Wenger I I could see City winning the Champions League this
2: year because I think, Mm. you know... Spurs lost 20 games last season in competitions and got mm. to the final. I mean, City are well capable of winning it. There's not a really outstanding side in Europe this year. And uh, last year, City won more than anything is a Champions League. What Liverpool won more than anything is a Premier League. And neither of them have got one. And they got each other's sort of <laughs> favoured prize last year. I think this year they could both winning the one they really want. I could see City doing that. I think they'll be very focused on it if they are. And I think they will be double points behind Liverpool. In previous years, Guardiola's been too clever in big Champions League games and made weird selections. He did it at Spurs last season and got beat. Did it against Liverpool a couple of seasons ago. I think we'll see Guardiola properly focused on it, mm. putting all his energies into that and was, said he could go well, going on and win. It was a strange selection, I thought, with Angelino. Yeah, fair. again, it's, it's typical of Guardiola in the very biggest games that he'll always try and throw in a curveball. Quite often it doesn't work. And uh, it was a strange one to play him in front of Mendy. Um, I don't think it made an awful lot of difference to the result. I suppose if you look
1: at it logically, the biggest doubt around Liverpool is their ability to deal with a very congested fixture list. You know, you can look at the next eight games in the league and they've got Leicester, there's a Merseyside Derby in that, but you think they could well go through unbeaten in that next mm. eight games. They're in a situation where they're having to fill two teams, one in the League Cup quarter final, one in the spurious world. Club <laughs> cup. Does that tell you a lot about
3: the way our system is almost on the verge of being broken? There's just too much football. Yeah, I mean, look, we've had this conversation many times on this sofa. I mean, you know, there is too much football. There's no two ways about it. But I don't have loads of sympathy for Liverpool over this because you know it's the price for success the fact that they're doing they did well in the Champions League last year they're doing well in the Carabao Cup this year so ultimately there is going to be a a fixture pilot they've got the players capable of dealing with both situations just for me you send the kids to Qatar for the Club World Cup and give them an experience that will hopefully live with them for a long time and help them in their progression and you keep the first team at home play them in the Carabao Cup semi-final and they're not Putting too many miles in the legs that well, you look at that. They're probably going to do it the other way around aren't they? They are, yeah. Well, they yeah. probably would, but that that to me would yeah. be the simple solution. I don't um, think he, he doesn't want that two-legged
2: semi-final in the League Cup. He's not bothered about the League Cup, is he?
3: But it, but I, I don't see why he'd be bothered about either of them because we know that the be-all and end-all for Liverpool this year is to yeah. win yeah. the Premier League title, of and course. and they've got the players that can do that. You yeah. know, I I, I I think that World Club Cup's got a lot more resonance around
2: the globe than it has in England. And yeah. I'm not saying we're wrong or they're and they're right, but it's just the fact mm. that you know, and I think everyone's all about. Global reach and marketing. If they win the World Club Cup, it will do a lot more for them than winning the league. Cup. I think so, you've hit you,
1: you've hit the right. nail on the head there, yeah. haven't you? Because you, know, you look at Liverpool mm. as a club; they're growing, mm. they're becoming yeah. a super club, yeah. and that is part of the progression, isn't it? Mm. That you actually sell more shirts in Asia, yeah. and, and this is the perfect platform. Yeah. so a League Liverpool Cup have court final that, won't though, do anything.
3: The, the Liverpool have always sold big. Oh, yeah. big I think I think they're making a the bigger inroad in now. Sure, yeah. I disagree slightly that you know I think if they end. Uh, you know, 30 years of waiting for the Premier Look, I I use my five-year-old, six-year-old nephew, I I should really know his age, but his (laughs) six-year-old nephew as an example. He's a Liverpool fan. Now, no-one in our family is a Liverpool fan, but he's a Liverpool fan because of Mo Salah, because his friends at school love watching them, because they are the champions of Europe, because of the way they play football. Mm -hmm. And I think if they become uh, the champions of England, allied to the fact that they're already champions of Europe, then I think the appeal will be global anyway. I, I just... Don't see that they need the yeah. Club World Cup to enhance their. He'd have yeah. much more fan support in Derby, though, wouldn't he? And <laughs> it's a point I've been drilling home for the last six years, but falling fallen on deaf ears. Yeah, Tom mentioned Mo Salah there.
1: That's part of the process that Liverpool have got to go through. They've got to really manage him now, haven't they? Managing yeah. The managing injury. There was almost like an audible intake of breath when he stayed down holding his ankle yeah. against City. Didn't play against Barcelona in the second leg last year, did he? Didn't do much harm that night, you
2: know. No. So, you know the squad's a lot stronger than we think it is. You know, he's a special, special player. But I think they've got the squad now to cope. I understand this—the League Cup and the World Club Cup—is is a, is a weird time for them. But I don't think either. I don't think they're going to be too bothered about winning either of them. You know, they'd obviously prefer to win the World Club Cup as we say, for commercial reasons. I think they've got the squad to do it. I think when you when you know, I think they were without Salah and Firmino. Thirty-two uh, of the front three were missing for the Barcelona second leg they were 3-0 down they will go to hope and they, they blew Barcelona away one of the greatest performances we've ever seen from an English club side you know, without those key players it's not just a case of an 11 now it's a, it's a really strong squad that Klopp's assembled and
3: Simply can't see them being. It's the the momentum that they've got at the moment Mm. as well. You know, every club is going to face a big number of games. I think Liverpool have got 12 in 37 days. Now, there are some Mm. clubs with even more than that in a shorter period of time over Christmas, but that's part of the challenge of winning the Premier League is to prove that you can come out the other side of that period. Mm. But as Dave says, you know, look, they've got this momentum from games like Barcelona, from beating Tottenham, from beating Manchester City. And Mm. if you tell me that Liverpool players who are absolutely flying high at the moment and crest of a wave if you don't tell me that they don't want to play football matches every couple of days at the moment because yeah. they're enjoying it so much I mean Trent Alexander-Arnold mm. look at the way the lads playing at the moment you know mm. it's just it's just a joy to watch and they they would much rather be out on the pitch playing a competitive match chalking off win after win after win than they would on the training ground yeah are he and Robertson the best fullback combination in
2: the world? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they remind me of the very best I've ever seen. Like, I remember that Turam and Lizarazu, Arazu and, and play, where the fullbacks really drive the team. Cafu and Roberto Carlos have been a couple of World Cup winning sort of. Those fullbacks who were so key to it, I thought Rose and Walker for one season with Spurs about three years ago were that good, actually. But these are the these are as good as I've seen. Because
1: it's intrinsic to their style, isn't it? Those yeah, long cross-field yeah. balls. Yeah. Are yeah. They're, they're wonderful
2: players, both of them. They really are, and absolutely key to what Liverpool do. I suppose the one thing is, you know, if if you did get two or three key injuries, you know, I've I've said about the squad being so strong. I still think if you lost Van Dijk and one other of the fullbacks, maybe. And Salah's not, you know, th- you know, who knows? That might make a bit of a dent in it. I still I
1: still think Liverpool, though. Yeah. I can't
2: make any case against them.
1: Do you, do you think, Tom, you know, January's a traditional time for taking out insurance in the transfer market, isn't yeah. it? I'd look at it and I think Manchester City are pretty certain to go and try and get a, you know, a decent central defender, yeah. i.e. a £60 million one. Mm-hmm.
3: What about Liverpool? Do you think they might need an extra striker? It's, it's really tough. I mean, you know, you, you, what you have to look at in, in January is A... Are you bringing somebody in who's going to improve your squad? Not necessarily improve the starting eleven, but someone to fall back on. You know, if Firmino was to get injured, but you also need someone who only isn't at that level as a player, but he's not going to change the dynamic yeah. within the group. You know, he's got the personality that will fit right in as well. And trying to find someone like that is so difficult. So, I think we could very easily see Jurgen Klopp say, "Look, let's not rock yeah. the boat in January. Let's we, we're yeah. doing so well." There's no point. The one in I less... wondered about was Erling Haaland. He got his sixth hat trick mm. of the season mm. for for Red Bull Salzburg
1: at the weekend. I think it's something like 35 goals in 21 games.
3: But, but is it an out and out goal scorer that they need? I mean, you know, you know. To... D- no, the, the key word is insurance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's fair. it's, it's got to be someone who fits in with. Mane, who fits in with Salah, you know, who will can replace Firmino if they're going to do it. And I'm not sure how many centre forwards there are out there who mm. play the game in the way that Roberto Firmino does. Mia has got a lot
2: of uh, brownie points from the semi final final, the Champions yeah. League in particular. He's, you know, he's come up with some key goals. He's done pretty well. I agree. I know Haaland's a phenomenal player that any club would probably fancy, any of the top Premier League clubs would fancy. But I think I would not be surprised if Liverpool don't sign anybody in, in January. I think they keep a steady ship. It's It's so. It's so steady at the moment that I, I don't think they want to upset it at
1: all. Mm. Can we just dwell briefly about <laughs> on Jürgen Klopp himself? You know, he's got this image of being you know, this master motivator, mm. arm around the shoulder. Is that only showing part of him? Is he is he a lot more rounded than we think? He's certainly got a side to him, hasn't he? I mean, I know referees
2: who refer to him as the smiling assassin because he's, <laughs> he's, you know, he will be smiling at the camera while giving the full official simultaneously. Dogs abuse. He, he's a he's a fierce competitor. We see that on the touchline. He's you know, he's certainly not entirely missed nice guy, and I don't suppose any of the great managers ever have been. And he is a great manager. So. He has got a great charisma about him. There's no doubt about it, and he's very good in front of the cameras when he's joking away. But there's certainly a lot more to him than that. And the sort of goofball sort of routine is pretty much a veneer. I think he's
3: a he's a very driven man and a hard taskmaster when he needs to be as well. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with Dave. You know, there's definitely a, a front and a, the smile for the cameras, which there isn't always off camera but you know when you speak to people around the club they love working with him they love working reporting into him you know and, and he's, he's doing a great job but he's been so well supported as well and, and I think you know when you when you look at the way Fenway have done their business in, in recent years in bringing in Klopp and then giving him the funds when he's needed it adding to the squad building it slowly it's not happened overnight they've not just become this great great side overnight I think everyone in, in the senior positions at, at Liverpool at the moment deserve a, a lot of credit for what they've been doing in recent years Mm. It seems to me at the moment you've got the top four at the moment. There's
1: a look of permanence about it at the moment now. But let's look at Klopp's predecessor, Brendan Rodgers. Mm. Leicester a second. In a way, he's becoming a a figure of greater stature than he Mm. was at Liverpool. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, There was a
2: lot of scepticism about him at Liverpool, even when they came so close to winning the title. We did a sit-down with a few of us before he went back to Anfield about five or six weeks ago. With Leicester, um, and they were unlucky to lose that there. But he said something very interesting in there. He was, he was asked about, if you remember, during his particularly his later later time the, towards the end of his reign at Liverpool in particular, it was a lot about the transfer committee, who were still in place, basically the same, you know, the same structures still there, and they're now very much more successful. Sometimes you think he's a bit sort of chocolate and loves himself. But he actually came out with a very sort of humble sort of line about, I've learned a lot from that. I, I now stick with what I do best. I know my limitations. It's not. I'm a coach and I'm a, you know, a motivator of people. I'm basically leaving the recruitment side very much more to other people, the specialists, whereas back then, and he said, I think he got the job at the age of 39 at Anfield, he, he, he was at that impetuous younger manager who, who believed he wanted to do everything. I think he said, I've learned my limitations and I've become a better manager for it. And I thought that was very interesting. Was, he seems like a guy very comfortable in his own skin now. Everyone knew under Puel, they were seriously, seriously underachieving. He mm. knew that. He knew they had, they didn't have to do an awful lot to that squad to be, you know, where they are now. It's, it's, you know, he's certainly getting the best out of Vardy. Vardy's new lease of life since the international retirement is in particular, but that side is a better team than the one that won the title. It's a better team to watch. They'll probably end up with more points than the team who won the title because they didn't have a huge point. They, they could very easily get more points than. Ranieri's side but come nowhere near to winning the title this year Mm. I'm really impressed with Rodgers I've got a lot I mean I think as as journalists and you might not not agree with your allegiances but Leicester I think most journalists because of what happened in 2016 it's the greatest football story we'll ever cover I mean it's Mm. the most extraordinary football we'll ever cover and
1: it's a very, very open club, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us have got a soft spot for Leicester because of what they did then. And the f- and, and to be top four again would be the second most astonishing achievement of the Premier League era, really, because that top six, with the possible exception of Spurs, has such financial might that to break in there, no-one else has done it since Everton about 13, 14 years ago. So just them just to finish fourth would be a great, great achievement, and it's difficult,
3: like you say, to see them not finishing top four now. I think it's the, the professionalism that Brendan Rodgers has brought to Leicester that the players have just all bought into themselves because they, from what I'm told, the information they're given now in the lead up to a game, the emails they get, and the analysis of opponents, both player that they're up against and you know greater picture of the team they're up against, is is just so superior to what. The players have been given in recent years mm. that that professionalism that Rodgers has brought to the club has, has really paid mm. off and just to pick Dave up despite my allegiance as it was <laughs> one of the, the great stories I mean no, to yeah. be to be, uh, to be uh, I've got a lot of friends who, who are Leicester fans as well and to be at the King Power Stadium that day with Andrea Bocelli singing mm. you know the, the, it was just I was at West Ham at the start of that season when they won I think two or three games in and I remember we jokingly said to Ranieri, you know, you're gonna win the title, aren't you, this year? And he said, Look, you know, we just need to put ice on my players' heads to, to keep them ground and keep them cool and calm. And so to be there against Everton the following May, when I think it was 3-0, wasn't it? And everything happening, it, it was it was just a special day. But I completely agree, better side now. I think this more than that can put Leicester on the path to being a regular top four, top six side. Yeah,
1: well it's all coming together,
3: isn't it? There's a yeah, the the big team as well. Big
1: training ground yeah. on the yeah. horizon. Yeah. And I think you know, to your point about you know the preparation they've always had a reputation within the game for being you know quite highly advanced in you know the metrics the sports science that they produce Mm -hmm. the recruitment analysis that they do so it's a club which has almost found its time and that's what gets me that you know people say well you know Brendan Rodgers or some of his leading players, they'll go to a bigger club soon. Well,
2: why do they need to? No, I don't think they do now. I think Leicester, having done what they did three years ago, if they can get in top four of a season, I think they will. Then, yeah, the big six could be actually broken up or they could become the big seven or whatever. The dynamic, which has been the big six, has been the big six for quite some years now, a decade probably. Mm. And I think Leicester are going to break that up for the long term. I don't you know, particularly... If Rodgers stays, I mean, there was a lot of controversy. over you know, we we can be a bit sniffy about Scottish football, but there's a huge amount of flack, didn't he, when uh, when he left? They were going for the treble at Celtic, and he left, you know, mid-season to go to Leicester. So he has got that ruthlessness of ambition. So you wonder whether. If Arsenal comes up very soon, would he be interested? I don't think at this point, no, because I think he's been such a, such a good thing this season. But mm. he's, often, he's always been talked about as a potential Tottenham manager, and, and maybe who knows, Man United or something one day. But he's in that. He's really proving himself now. There was always a lot of skepticism that it was just like a, you know, a very nice smile and, and, and not necessarily, you know, not, not saying everyone knew he was a bright guy, but. I'm not sure if people were convinced that, that he was as good as he thought he was. Now I think they
1: are becoming convinced that he's, mm. he's a top manager. You are at Chelsea on Saturday, yeah. Tom. Frank Lampard, again, someone who is a brilliant media performer, some would say manipulator, mm. he's, got every, he's doing everything right. He's pressed every potential button.
3: Hasn't yeah, he, he has. Uh, I remember sitting here a few months ago, Mike, and, and questioning whether he was, it was too soon for him going to Chelsea, having watched derby in the playoff final and some of the decisions he made you know substitutions were they made at the right time in a big game should he have picked Jack Marriott the semi-final hero who was buzzing with confidence and instead he went with Mason Bennett and it, it made me wonder whether in the big moments you know the Champions League knockout phases big big Premier League matches whether he needed another year just to you know work on that sort of decision making and, and delighted to say he's proved me absolutely wrong, certainly to now anyway. I was walking to the game on Saturday and I bumped into another journalist and we were saying it's just a pleasure to go and watch Chelsea at the moment. You know, they're they're young, vibrant, they pass the ball so well. And the storyline behind it all, the fact that everyone had written them off at the start of the season with Eden Hazard leaving and with the transfer ban, it was a double whammy, you know, and Lampard was probably going to do well to keep them in the top 10. He's proving it all a nonsense. You know, Tammy Abraham scoring goals but being his feet being kept on the ground by his manager we've got Mason Mount who's a terrific young footballer to watch. Pulisic uh, there are obviously question marks over him he was getting very frustrated that he wasn't getting the chances I think some people some observers in America thought there was a bit of nepotism going on with Mm. the homegrown talent and Pulisic not getting his chance but you know the way Lampard has handled that situation and he's off the leash at the moment and I said in my match report I wouldn't ever dream at this stage of comparing him to Eden Hazard because he's got a lot to do and a lot of trophies to win before you can but the void of Hazard going it doesn't look anywhere near as big now as it did in the summer yeah cause it's all about managerial maturity isn't it Dave where
1: uh, what struck me at the weekend was the way Frank Lampard eased Azpilicueta who's been his captain and his most consistent yeah. player out just to give Rhys James yeah the chance that he thinks he, that he thought he made. James had a terrific game, didn't he, Tom? Yeah, he did. yeah. yeah he, Highlights yeah, look, yeah. like he had a
2: great game um, and he's very well thought of his, his year at Wigan last year. I agree with everything that Tom said, but they've, they've suddenly become you know, everyone's almost fav- favourite second team because of the nature of, the, of this of this season. Um, you know, Chelsea would not have had any neutral mm. sort of support in any way, would they? You know, since the since the Abramovich takeover in particular, not been a popular club, there's been a lot to dislike about them. Now there's an awful lot to like about them. Every, every, every football supporter wants to see kids coming through their academy, one of their own, that whole phenomenon that started with, with the Kane song, gets sung about different players at every club now, doesn't it? Everyone loves that. And the fact that suddenly from having no, you know, homegrown players in in the first team regularly for for decades, really. To now have like half the team of, of, of kids who are all thriving. I mean, tamori has been a great sort of mm-hmm. example as well as all the ones you mentioned. Tom, yeah. it, 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 you know. It, it's great to see. I was very skeptical that it would work. I understood why they went for Lampard in these circumstances because I thought it was going to be a really tough year for them and that uh, just Frank me and Frank and the legend years at the club that it would deflect a lot of flack, but I mean the run they're on now is excellent and and uh, Great, great to watch, and, and Longman continue.
3: They've got to sort the defence out. That, that's the yeah. one. thing oh, I, they are. I think Still short. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think they've yeah. conceded seventeen goals yeah. now, and I, I think prior to the weekend, yeah. West Ham, who were in thirteenth going into the weekend, whether the, the you know they'd conceded eighteen, you had to go mm. that far down to find yeah. a team who'd let in as yeah. many. So there are there are issues oh, yeah, for him to, yeah. to work on. But oh, um, it's never going to be the finished article in that situation. No, course, is it no? not.
1: yeah? As a sort of a side issue, Nathan Ake. Yeah. I mean, that, but you but you know, yeah, they've got a, a buyback clause in that contract. Mm. Will he be someone who can maybe strengthen that side?
3: Yeah, he, he could strengthen that side. I mean, we shouldn't forget that Rudiger's been out injured, who would probably be the first-choice uh, first centre-half as well. Um, but, I mean, yeah, Aki's Ak a terrific player. He's really come on leaps and bounds since uh, since he went down to Bournemouth. Tamori's excellent as well. I know from speaking to people who watched him at, watched him mount at Derby mm. a lot last year, they felt that Tamori was perhaps the better player than the Mount Mount had a spell out injured and obviously, you know, everyone likes to watch a creative player more than Mm. someone who's there just to block and make the tackles. But there is a big feeling that Tomori had got a a huge future in the game. So I think Lampard will will stick with him. I think there are still question marks over Kurt Zuma. He's done uh, he's done fairly well in recent weeks, had a a nightmare against Manchester United, didn't he, to, to begin with. But long term is he is he going to be a, a stalwart at Chelsea in the way that a John Terry was? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think Ake's a, a potential, but I, I think yeah. there'll be one or two other defenders out there as well who they could bring in and would be an upgrade on what they've got.
2: Mm. But do you think the worst thing that could have happened to Lampard would have been if the transfer ban lifted in January they'd mm. be under pressure? They would, they would have signed players, Chelsea or Chelsea, yeah. mm. and he'd have been under pressure to play them and it might have upset the whole apple cart, really. And mm. I think for him, rather than for the club, for Lampard personally, I think it's, it's perfect that... that, that they won't be outside anyone in January. Um and and you know he, he gets a full run at it and gets his young team into the Champions League for next
1: season. Yeah, you, you made the point about you know one of our own. Yeah. Um Manchester United are going mm. through this sort of schizophrenic season mm. at the moment, up up one minute, down the yeah. next. Um Brandon Williams made his mm. Premier League debut against Brighton on Sunday, mm. looked to the manor born. Yeah. Um is it do you think in the big picture, a good idea for United to say, right, OK, here's our guy, phase Ashley Young out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, think, I, don't, I don't know how long Luke Shaw's out for, but that'd be a, a different, I, mean, I agree in terms of the short term, yeah. I mean, Shaw was very good last year. Um, seemed to suddenly be coming into his own, didn't he? But I mean, Williams looks looks like a player worth persevering with. I think for United, I don't see them getting anywhere near the top four in terms of points this year. They, might, they may finish fifth or sixth. I don't think they're going to finish that close to the top four. I think that they need to... And I think to some extent he is taking a lead from the, from Chelsea, this youth phenomenon at Chelsea. United are going down a similar path. Aren't quite so many homegrown players, but but the signings they made were young and, and have done pretty well. Wan-Bissaka and James in particular done well. We'd like to see a bit more of Greenwood. I'm sure, I I think, you know, fans, you know, United, every club, love love seeing, you know, Mm. youngsters coming through. Solskjaer knows it's part of the DNA. He grew up with, you know, played with the class of 92. He he knows more than anyone, as well as anyone, how important that is to United. Um, They've
3: nothing to lose, have they?
2: No, I don't think so. I think it's the the best way for him to go. Um, I think politically for him, Mm. for his uh, his own longevity in, in that job, I think the best way to go is to promote youth, you know, when, it, when it's good enough, as clearly Williams looks like he is, then, uh, yeah, that's the best way to go. It was the youngest team, youngest starting a living in the Premier League this season, wasn't it? Mm. United played against Brighton, so even, even younger than Chelsea's teams, which is saying something. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, as a, just as just a, as a neutral watcher of the Premier League, it's great to see, the biggest clubs where we've been saying for years and years and years that kids never get a chance, that, that two clubs in particular... One of the
1: definitive things are. about this season, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it's a theme of the season, definitely. Chelsea and United in particular. Emery's done it with a few players at Arsenal as well at times. It's not going
3: well for them at the moment, but there has been you know, yeah, more when, of an emphasis. Willis yeah. come in and looked good whenever mm. I've seen him play yeah. as well. So, they're, yeah, they're... Green shoot's there, but whether Emory, whether Emery will be there long enough to... Yeah. Um, no, I don't. More of that later. Yeah.
1: If you look at you know, the success stories this season, mm. um, all successful teams have a certain chemistry about them.
3: Yeah.
1: Sheffield United, I think robbed by VAR, and I don't really want to get into a VAR debate because it, we do it every week and it's, <clears> it gets even worse every week because <laughs> they're still making it up as they go along. Yeah. But if you look at that performance against Spurs, OK, they're still not beaten on the road this season Sheffield United this is a team where if you looked at on paper you'd think relegation candidates here Mm. does that then point to the manager talk to me about Chris Wilder and what a job he's doing
3: it points to the manager uh, it points to the players it points to everyone behind the scenes at the club as well and and the way they've brought everyone together I think what, what Wilder did that was very clever in the summer is he, he put the word out to agents that he wanted to go down the Burnley route of recruitment he wanted an English core in the team because he felt that that was the way that Sheffield United he, with their identity uh, were going to make enough points and get enough points to, to stay in the Premier League and I think it was very clever recruitment over the course of the summer and um, they're, they're just I, I think they, they look like a classic team who whereas you look at Norwich and you think that maybe they've been overawed by the bigger picture. It looks to me like Wilder really has done the old cliche of breaking it down one game at a time. Look, lads, it's 90 minutes, 11 of us against 11 or 14 against 14 by the end of the match. Let's just take it as each game comes and not get too carried away with how badly we did one week, how well we've done the next week and, and that sort of pragmatic approach from, from Chris Wilder is completely paying off at the moment And and... <laughs> they, I, I don't think any of us would have sat here at the start of the season and said that we a, a third of the way through it would be thinking that they were the, one of the joys to watch. Yeah. But but they they are a real pleasure to watch at the moment. You know they play some entertaining football. They get stuck in when they need to. It's it's he's doing everything right.
1: Because there's a lot of nonsense spoken about them being a lumpet team. Yeah, they're not. They're you know they score so. a twenty-three yeah. pass goal at, at the all, weekend. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. No, we almost assumed that, but it's not the case at all. I think um, Wilder's a great story in the way he's come up from non-league and through all the leagues and had success at every every tier of English football basically and uh, really proved himself and and I think you know that he more than anyone. I mean, people were saying it's, it's great that Lampard's got got the chance to show what he can do for English English managers which, who have been underrepresented for so long. It's not really about Lampard because he's such a big name and he, and he was a club legend. And that's why he got that job, even though he's doing very well now. That's why he got the job. Wilder's the one who's the real sort of role model for English managers, isn't he? To come up through every tier. And they are, you know, a joy to watch. I can't think of the promoted team I enjoy watching more. I mean, Wolves were probably the best promoted team we've had in the Premier League era, but it was very different. The Mendes link and the, the Fossen money—you uh, know that, that they are—they they are, they, they continue to be very good to watch. But Sheffield United, as a, as a promoted team who haven't invested stupid amounts of money, are, are, are a joy, and they're not—you know—they obviously they have got a lot of in, in common with Burnley, as you said, but they don't play like Burnley mm. at all. I mean, you know, you don't really want to pay to watch
1: Burnley, unfortunately. Sheffield United are, are, are far more enjoyable. Mm. And you mentioned uh, Wolves there, uh, Tom. Uh, it looks like they're getting into their stride. They had problems with the Europa League early yeah, on. Yeah. haven't lost since mid-September. Nuno is another manager
3: who gets the best out of people. Yeah, he does. Yeah, uh, Clearly knows what it's like to be in a dressing room, knows what it's like to be a player and how, as a player, you want treated by your he looks manager. looks a bit scary, doesn't he? Uh, it, he's, he's got that in the locker. You know, he, he can be very, very charming with us in the press when we deal with him, but he can be... Absolutely, at the opposite end of the spectrum, when he wants to be as well, um, and I suspect uh, you know, look, players uh, managers treat their, their players and journalists differently, of course, but I suspect they they see both sides of that, and um, I think with with the Europa League. Uh, it's not always just about the distances that you you have to travel, and I know it is a little bit more difficult and that whole Thursday Sunday for whatever reason it does get into the psyche. But I just think it's the time you, you lose so much pre season because you get into it. So you know, you speak to any player, any manager, if you get a, a, a good pre season, then it really does set you up for for the year ahead. And and I think Wolves maybe lost a little with that, but as you say, they're they're you know they're really finding their momentum now, and I, I think some clubs in, in the past have got so caught up in the Europa League that they've taken their eye off the ball with the Premier League whereas Wolves, they don't seem to be doing that, they seem to be welcoming and again, when, when you've got the money that they've got and, and the, the players they've got, you, you can do that a bit better than perhaps Burnley uh, you know, or Swansea or teams like that have done yeah. in the past but, I think we should still not, you know, we should still say that's to their credit that they're able to do it. I think Nuno should
2: have a shave because I think the uh, beard—he's <laughs> forty-four or forty-five, isn't he? He's, he's a young manager. Everyone thinks he's—you, casual observer—think he's you casual observer thinks hes 54 or fifty-five. He's—he's—he's he's, he's younger than Ryan Giggs, for instance. You know, he's—he's a, he's a, he's a young bloke. Um, because because of his big grey beard, everyone thinks he's an old, you know, in the—if you don't know his history, you'd think he was like a gnarled old veteran, he'd been around twenty clubs. He's not. He's a young guy, and he's got a big. Future, I
1: think some people would say management ages you anyway, yeah, sure. Um, and, and in that context, you know, we're into the international break, this is the you know final one of the year, which is the traditional killing zone for, mm-hmm. for managers. Yeah. Do you think we'll lose a manager in the next 10 days or so?
3: Oh, it's a good question. Um, I, th- I think Pellegrini is under more pressure now at West Ham than perhaps he has ever been, but I uh, again. We always say about uh, David Sullivan and David Gold—they're not—they're—they they're, are actually pretty patient with their managers. When you look at them, you know, you look at the, the whole time in football. So uh, I think I think they'll stick with him. They invested heavily in the summer, and uh, they played some good football at the start of the year. They were really doing well, and you know, it's obviously just dropped off a little bit, and dropped off a lot in exactly. recent weeks. But I think it. I think it could come back with them I think they've got players who are too good that's a squad um, that should be doing so much better than it is for yeah. I me mean, does that, that point
1: uh, to a broader problem uh, almost like the culture of the club
2: yeah I think so yeah I think the the stadiums all wrong I went to the, the last time I saw them live was against Man United at home and they, they beat United easily United were very very poor and uh and it just, the place wasn't buzzing really. It, they'd beaten Man United. I suppose maybe that's partly because Man United aren't what they used to be, but it just still felt flat. Um, stadium's wrong. They've got a manager who I don't think improves players or teams. I don't think, even though you won the title at City, I don't think, I think there's a lot of people at City who are pretty underwhelmed by him. Um, I, I think he's, a, I, I, I don't, he doesn't inspire me in any way, shape or form. Um, I don't think they will, I think I agree with you uh, about Sullivan and Gold. I don't think they will sack him this break. He's the one.
3: He's the one I would get rid of if I was in that position. Um, I think he'd have to be sort of just above the relegation zone, or like in mm. the relegation zone, for them to sack him at the moment. And mm. no, I don't think they will. I think if it's a if, good if, squad,
2: though, if, isn't it? Those that front four is outstanding. Yeah, the front
3: four is excellent, and, yeah. and,
2: and, and Rice he clearly I mean, he's, I he's regressed he, though. He's, he's hasn't he dips he, a bit. He's dips a bit, but he's a hell of a talent. Um, and an intelligent footballer. I like I like their centre halves. I think I think that's a really good squad. They miss Fabianski because the keeper's yeah. had a shocker, hasn't he? At Burnley, in particular, yeah. he really has. But and Fabianski's been an outstanding goalkeeper the last couple of seasons. But. Um, yeah, I, I just think Pellegrini's is really seriously underachieving more than any other manager in the Premier
3: League. I, I, I mean, I, I, obviously as journalists we love players coming out and speaking their mind and 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 not hiding, not making any excuses. Yeah. But I, I listened to Rice saying that he felt they were bullied, yeah, and, and that right. that concerned me a little bit. And I, I don't know, I don't know whether that is down to the manager or whether that's as players you have to. Take responsibility for mm. that. You know, if you're losing your one-on-one, that, that's that's the first thing as a footballer you need to do is win your one-on-one battle. And mm. if you're allowing someone to bully you out of it, then and I don't think Pellegrini puts an emphasis on that. No, of, the game. no of course, of course. But, but, but yeah, I mean that that is something that obviously needs addressing. But the fact that you know Rice is aware of it, you would hope that that's something that the squad will talk about between I, themselves. I think it was really interesting, right? That
2: kid, you know, he obviously he's an England international now, but he's still only a kid of mm, 21. Yeah come out and say that publicly was quite a statement. It, yeah. it made me think was something not right
1: here. Mm, yeah, A lot of people saying there's something not quite right at Arsenal at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're led to believe...
3: we have been saying that for about five years. <laughs> Possibly.
1: <It's been laughs> we, we, a... We're led to believe that, that Unai Emery is safe for the time being at least,
3: maybe till the summer.
1: That wrong? That's the wrong policy?
3: No, I mean... I... I, I, I struggle with how quickly people want and I probably by my own admission probably get it wrong sometimes but I wouldn't I I find it so hard to understand why people just want managers to be sacked and changed so quickly these days um you know I I I always thought it was going to be a minimum two maybe minimum three year uh, job that that Emory needed to come in and have a significant number of transfer windows because you know there's there's that much needed changing about Arsenal. and it was the same at Manchester yeah. united when you've had a manager who's been in there for two decades and he's got a certain way of doing it then you can't just come in and rip things up and change on uh, in in one year you know it takes time to to rebuild it and they're already you know we, we've seen the, the way they attack the, the, the players that they've got now and they've added a little bit more bottle to the side I think you know, I, I, I mean if I was an Arsenal fan I'd, I'd, I was very damning of the way they treated Granit Xhaka because I'd actually be saying well, hang on we've got a bloke here who's willing to stand up and shout at 40,000 people and we've, yeah, for the last five, six years we've been crying out for someone who's willing to have a battle and here's, here's someone who is and you know, we're trying to force him out of the club so I, I would stick with Emery whether it will happen I don't know. Yeah.
1: Is it another club enslaved by the business plan? Yeah, there's
2: an element of that, isn't there? Um, that, you know, they remind you a lot of... Kroenke reminds you a lot of gla- the Glazer ownership, really. It's an absentee landlord He's happy to sort of milk it, really, I think. I think Emery... I, I, I quite like the cut of his jib when he first came in, and I thought he was... You, things you heard, that I think it was a bit of a holiday camp under Wenger, particularly in the last few years, and, and I think he shook that up, and I quite liked the fact that he, that he did that, and I thought... He has something about him. But the problem, the main problem for me is just one of communication. And it might, you know, obviously I I can't speak barely a word of Spanish, so it's not not being critical of him necessarily. It's just, it's not so much, and it is is in the dressing room. It is a problem in the dressing room, Mm. definitely. You hear that from players. But, it's also a problem with a with club in general. That is a club that's been fractured. It's, been, it's gone through a civil war when you go to the, when you go to the Emirates. And, and what happened with Jacques, you know, was off the back of that long history of toxicity inside the Emirates at match days. And that, that's, that's the problem. You need a unifying presence, a strong voice there at that club to bring, every, bring that whole club, that support base together. Emery, particularly because of his lack of English, hasn't got hasn't got that. Um, I, I don't think he is the man to bring that club forward at the moment because of that. I thought the Xhaka... I mean, listen, everyone's got sympathy for Xhaka, uh, the abuse he's had to put up with on that day and online, everything. Of course that they, of course, we do, as human beings, but it was the wrong decision to make him captain. It was the wrong decision. Uh, he's talking about dressing room ballots for the captaincy. Don't like the sound of that. Um, if you, he knew Xhaka was unpopular. He knew that you know he was really putting his neck on the line for a player who's not been particularly good. Uh, it was a wrong decision by the manager and that's, that's one of the reasons why Jacques has ended up getting it. He, he shouldn't have been putting that... He, he shouldn't have been made captain.
1: I suppose the other natural target of doubt would be Ralph Hasenhuttle at Southampton. When you look at it, again, the word is that people are going to keep faith with him. But you look at Southampton, that's a team... Heading for the championship, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it looks that way. But look, we've said it for years and years now. You can't keep selling your best players as Southampton have done over the last 10 years. And Ultimately, you know, you might stay. You might be able to replace one. You might be able to replace two, three. But if you keep doing it and keep doing it as they have, then ultimately it's going to come back and bite you. And whether this year is is the year that 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 happens, uh, you know, I mean, to lose to lose nine nil, the manner of that defeat against Leicester was was just incredible. And the fact that Hassan Huttle Kept his job on the back of it surprised me. Um, I was equally surprised by the fact that a lot of the stories we were reading the the, the days that followed were the fact that uh, they were looking for a new director of football or technical director to come in and start the recruitment. Well, mm-hmm. sorry that that performance was was down to the manager. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't surprise me if he was to leave the club this uh, this window. I think he's got
2: a lot of credit in the bank from last season. I thought he, I thought he was very impressive last year. They were they were in real trouble this time last season. I think Ooh. and uh, and he did a really good job. And I thought we had a I thought they looked a good side towards the end of last year. Um, it's gone horribly wrong um, I think after the Leicester result they needed to get they needed to get something out of the Everton the next home game against against Everton especially on a struggling side that's a really bad defeat for him that's you know that, it was it was almost that more than the Leicester result which is almost in some ways freakish obviously it was an absolute nightmare for them but they lost a the player early it it, it it was I was going to say it's one of those games it's not one of those games because it's never <laughs> happened before in the history of the English top flight that team seems won 9-0 away from home but uh, I, I think it, I, I really expected and hoped, from a Southampton point of view, I'd hoped to have seen a real reaction to it against Everton. And they didn't get it. So mm. that makes me worry about him. I, do, but I know they have got a lot of time for what he did last year. So I, I think he might just hang on, but it's, it's, he's under serious, serious
1: pressure now. Yeah. I suppose the other manager under a degree of pressure um, is Phil Neville with the England women's team. Massive weekend for the women's game. Record crowd at Wembley, um, a defeat at uh, in, in injury time or very late in the game, which probably posed a lot more questions than it provided answers. Um, one win in seven. Does he deserve to be under pressure, or no?
3: Um, with one win in seven, inevitably I think he deserves to be under pressure. I mean, every every manager would be uh, with with those sort of statistics. So I think uh, you know, as Dave said about Ralph Hassenhuttle there's a lot of Money in the bank or, or stock in the bank for for Phil Neville for everything uh, he's done over the last couple of years with the side, but um, yeah, I mean it, it's it's ab- absolutely uh, hard hard times for him at the moment. I mean I know the players uh, are coming out and, and speaking of their support for him and, and crediting everything he's done, but uh, you know they're they're, they're not going to come out and throw him under the bus, are they?
1: Well, when you got a manager saying that it's not good enough, we're going backwards. Mm. That must tell you that something's wrong. Yeah, it seems like he's
2: caught up with what it's been up like for a while now I and mean, he's he's come up with some pretty delusional comments about himself about being the best manager in the world I think or something like that a few weeks ago wasn't it? I've never been convinced by Phil Neville there was some Bizarre mutterings that he could end up, you know, when things were going better with the with the women's team, that he could end up succeeding Southgate, and uh, that filled me with some dread. And at least that will be off the agenda now. Um, but uh, no, this I think when you the, the women's game is, is 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 having such a boom, and it's great to see Wembley f- f- uh, fall for it. And, and the women's game in general is is, is, is having a you know it's, it's being properly promoted now. It's it's great to see, but you get the impression that. Despite all that, the England team's gone slightly backwards under Neville. If anything, they didn't do any better than they did under Sampson at the World Cup, and since then, it's really falling apart. Um, I'd like to, I would, you know, prefer to see a, a female manager of the women's team as well. Um, Emma Hayes at Chelsea seems to be an outstanding candidate. I, I think it would be good for the image of the women's game if um, if there was a woman managing the England team. I don't. I I I felt the the Neville appointment in the first place was a slightly tokenistic one to try and raise the overall profile, knowing how we work in newspapers, that he's a name and and he is a name, but I don't don't think that's the right right policy for me.
1: Mm. Well, one win in seven since the World Cup. Neville admits that isn't good enough. I'm sorry to say, neither is he. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.